got an electronic Bible here. I've got a paper Bible. I got the B-I-B-L-E right in here or here somewhere in there. But let's make a good confession. Say this out loud with me. This is my Bible. Boy, we could have some enthusiasm tonight. Amen. You know, I'll preach way better if you amen me a lot tonight. And so we'll get out of here earlier. If you don't, I'm going to preach late, okay? <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do everything. Absolutely everything. My Bible says I can do. By His Spirit, this is God speaking to me. Man, you guys are interesting. All right, open it up, if you would, tonight to the book of um, uh, Mark chapter, um, well, go to Ephesians 6. Let's start there. Sorry, I want to I wanna point something out the Lord uh, addressed here to me just a few minutes ago. Um, we've been talking about authority. This is the last week that we're going to be digging into this. I'm starting a new series next weekend on the book of Nehemiah. And uh, I really, um, there are some things um, that are about to happen in the church, in the world, uh, by the Spirit of God. There are some prophetic things that are about to happen in the month of March. Uh, We're in a position right now of just kind of getting things in place. uh, And uh, these are things that have been told of old that are about to happen in 2017 in the month of March. And they're confirmed through other prophetic voices. And, uh, but here's the thing that, that I want you to remember and why I really feel like we're supposed to get into the book of Nehemiah. The devil don't want you to have it. I don't care what it is. He don't want you to have it. And so you're not going to get anything just because it's being poured out from heaven. You're going to have to fight to have what God wants you to have. And so there's going to be that challenge. Nehemiah is the best fighting book I know of in the, in scripture about a huge revival that broke out and the resistance that came against that uh, to stop it all before it ever came to pass. And there are so many valuable lessons that we can learn from the book of of Nehemiah. And uh, so I'm just going to encourage you. You know, it's really really powerful. Um, I believe it's the word. You can help me with this if I get it wrong. But the word to prophesy or to speak prophetically, one of the Hebrew words is ma'ah. And it means that God puts his hand on you, pulls back his hand, but when he pulls back his hand, the burden remains. Do you, do you remember this from the other night? Is that the word, though, do you know? It's in, it was in the notes. So, Huh? Are you doing a Three Stooges skit? <laughs> it doesn't matter what the word is in the Hebrew, right? just as the, the word is a, is a reference to, and that's what happened to Nehemiah. God put his hand on Nehemiah, and then Nehemiah left Israel. He saw the walls all down, and I mean, that thing would not leave him. But just because he had a burden from God didn't mean it was going to come to pass. And I mean, the devil fought every way he could, and we need to know about that. And then in the end, revival broke out, and it was absolutely powerful. Well, I'm believing for a revival in the land, Amen. I mean, look, we don't, just need, we don't just need good politicians. We need revival in the land. Comple- I mean, to sweep the nations and, and powerful things. I, I, you know, uh, we have had the opportunity, those of us have been around for a while, to have seen where God was pouring himself out so strong in meetings. 
that just like what you heard Ray Bench talk about, where people were walking down the aisle, the power of God hit them, and they got saved, they got delivered from alcoholism, they got healed in their body. I mean, look, that'd be totally cool, wouldn't it? I'm for that. Praise the Lord. We were reading about, Sharon was telling me about Amy Simple McPherson, that she got a call at 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, the police came, knocked on her door, and says, you got to go down to do this meeting. There's 300,000 people waiting outside your auditorium for this meeting to get started. She actually told people that if you're not sick, don't come to the meetings because there's so many sick people coming to get healed that we would just prefer, unless you're a, you've got to be there to help this person, don't come so a sick person can get in. And it was still packed out. I mean, can you imagine tomorrow if I said, well, if you're not sick, of course, we've had a bunch of people battling sickness, but put on Facebook, just bring, only sick people come to the service tomorrow because God's going to heal them. And, you know, uh, look, man, that'd be totally incredible that we don't have room. But see, that's in the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. So our generation has had that experience where we've seen those kinds of moves of the Holy Spirit unexplainable things where God, I mean, used people that you were just like, I can't believe God's even using this person because they're so different than the rest of us. And yet the anointing was so strong on their life. You know, Catherine Kuhlman was a strange person. I don't know if you've ever heard any of her preaching, but I mean, she wasn't like the typical today preacher. Three points, you know, she just, just, I mean, she just, she was out there half the time talking to the Holy Spirit and calling out stuff in her meetings, but yet people were healed by the thousands. Well, look, that's not happening in the church right now. We're seeing little glimmers of it in places, but I believe that's about to break forth. But it's not going to come. It's not going to come just because God wants it to come. It's going to come because God's people know how to deal with this stuff. And if you look at the battle of Pentecost, how to get, when God when Pentecost broke out in the United States out at Azusa, there were a lot of resistances against that even happening. And there were a lot of churches that shut the doors on those folks and said, no way, but it spread. And it kept, and it kept spreading. There were lots of people that called out Branham and, and A. Allen and all these, and Oral Roberts as heretics. I mean, they're, they're, they're wrong. Don't go to their meetings. They'd have whole cities where pastors would say, you, you, it's the devil. Don't go down there to those meetings. But yet God continued. They didn't listen to that. So it's important for us to know about the authority God has given to us. Nehemiah is going to be basically the application of what we've been spending the last four weeks digging into on authority. Amen? So we talked about how authority is transferable, right? God owns everything, transferred the authority of not the ownership, but the uh, the authority over his ownership to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve transferred it to the devil. Jesus became the last Adam, came and took all that back. And like we talked about last Saturday, then Jesus transferred that authority to the church. Jesus, I had somebody was sending me a text tonight and they were saying, I don't know why God lets all this stuff happen. Well, here's the thing. God, if you're waiting on God to fix your situation for you, God has already given us authority in his word to take authority over what's happening. So if there is demonic things that are happening and you think it's the devil, and this actually, this person thought it was God that was doing it all, and I said it wasn't God. I'm 
telling you that God is not the author of strife, confusion, amen, hatred. He is not the author of any of that. So anyways, you know, you have to know how to exercise the authority that has been given to you as a believer. Now in Ephesians 6, and I was digging into this a little bit last week, and I don't know, I don't remember if I had you turn to this or not, um, but uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want us to look at verse, um, I want us to look at verse 10. He said there, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we talked about how that, that word there, to be strong means empower yourself in the Lord. You got to do the work. You got to do the work. And so if you will, you have to empower yourself in the Lord. So it's like God gives you this awesome weight set and then says, look, empower yourself in the Lord. I'm get, it's my weights. I'm giving them to you. Now you get busy doing the work to get stronger. You know, we all want to be like underdog. Anybody remember underdog? Mild mannered. What was his name? Oh, he was shoeshine boy, mild manner shoeshine boy, right? But he would pop that little ring open. There was a little pill inside there, the atomic pill, and he'd take that and turn into underdog. Well, that's not how God works. And there's look, and there are some people think you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's like taking the underdog pill. Look, if you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you not only have you moved to a new level, but you've moved against some new devils who want to fight that and don't want that in your life, don't want you speaking in tongues, flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, all that stuff. is You're going to face new levels of enemy that's coming against you. So this here in Ephesians, when, Paul, when he says, look, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and then he goes on, he talks about put on the whole armor of God. And so I wanted you just to see this as a breakdown, that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, to stand against the wiles or the trickery or the schemes of the devil because you and I are not wrestling against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in the spiritual, uh, and against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. He says, look, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So let me, let me just make this real simple to you. Okay, because I don't want you getting caught up on each piece of the armor here. What he just is telling you is, now, put on, take to yourself the whole armor of God. It's God's armor that you can stand against the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he's going to start revealing to you these different aspects of the armor. But when you take each aspect of the armor, you could put right beside it, this is the word. Gird your loins with truth. Is the word truth? Huh? Is the word truth? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Is that truth that's in the word? Absolutely. Is the shield of faith? How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So all of these different aspects, you could just you could just put a little if you, a parenthesis around all this different parts of the armor, because people get all caught up in, you know, and, I, and look, I love teaching on all those different aspects but it's the word. It comes from God. People say, well, how do I put on the armor? Put on the word. Speak the word. Call the word. Say out of your mouth what the word says. 
that will cause you to be able to stand. So, but here's the thing. As you move through to the last part, and he even says it so clearly in verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and then he says it in verse 18, and I just absolutely love this. He says, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then he goes on and talks about some of the challenges that he's dealing with. All of this of being able to stand with the word in your life is so that you can pray in the spirit. Now, we in the Pentecostal churches, we talk about praying in the spirit, and we say, well, that's praying in tongues. But when you pray the word of God, you're praying in the spirit as well. You say, well, I don't speak in tongues. I want to, but I don't yet. We'll just begin to speak the word of God. Because where did the word of God come from? wasn't written by, it wasn't penned, it was penned by men, but it was written because God moved on the hearts of men, so it's his words. It's inspired. It, it literally means, the word inspired in your Bible means God breathed into it. Now think about that. God breathed into it. Where's the, where did we see God breathing? God breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. When God breathes into something, whatever was just normal becomes supernatural, came alive. Adam was just molded together with by God in the image of God, just dead, inanimate, laying there or standing there or however he formed him. And until God breathed into him the breath of life, that nothing was happening in Adam, with Adam. But as soon as God breathed into Adam, Adam became a living soul. When God breathed into the words and breathed out the words that he spoke, there's life that's in those words. Jesus said it. The the words that I give to you, they're life to you. They're they're to be life to your life. You're, You're to apply these to your life. So when God tells us, look, you want to be able to stand, then you're going to have to be in the word, and you're going to have to be declaring the word over your life. That doesn't mean that we don't pray in tongues. Absolutely, I believe in praying in tongues. But I I also believe adamantly in you've got to speak the word of God over your life. So whatever you're dealing with, that's the sword of the spirit. You've got to get that out and you've got to speak what God said. Amen? And and that can be a challenge. That's a warfare. The greatest warfare you fight will not be on the outside of you. It will be in your own heart. And that is to believe what God has said even though your circumstances are saying something different. Uh, This morning in my Twitter feed, there was a quote by E.W. Kenyon, and it said this, and I thought this was so, if you don't know who E.W. Kenyon was, he was a great man of God, um, and he said this, never let your circumstance override what God has said in his word. Never let your circumstance. Now, he's not saying we're in denial about our circumstances because those are real. Pain is real. Lack is real. It's real. But is that the final say? That is not the final say. So what he's saying is don't let your circumstance, and here's the other thing, don't let your circumstance become your faith. And we see this happen so often in believers' lives that, that you're going through something and somehow you think God is doing that, and so now you give into that and think that that's the way that God wanted this all to play out. And even though his word may say something completely different. 
Amen. So you got to be careful with that part of it. So we talk about authority and how we apply authority to our lives and how that authority works within our lives. And I shared with you a little bit, you know, the, it says to not be ignorant of the schemes or the wiles of the devil. So I want to share with you the five things I believe the devil uses against you. Five things. Okay. Everybody say five things. And they're found in the book of Mark, Mark chapter, uh, and so if you want to write these all down, and then I'm just going to go through and, and, and define them for you a little bit. In Mark chapter 4, and you look at Mark 4, 14, and through verses 20, and there are five things that the enemy uses against the believer, all right? One is affliction, affliction, we'll dig into each of these. The second is persecution, the third is the cares of the world. The fourth is the deceitfulness of riches. And the fifth is the lust for other things or the desire for other things. Now, the enemy only uses five things. And what he's after is your ability to stand. Because how do you stand? With the word. So if you have a word and you're standing, what do I got to get out of your life? I got to get the word out of your life, right? right? So in verse 14... Jesus says, I told you guys all this parable because the sower is sowing the word. The seed is the word of God. And I, I'm not going to get into all the depths of that tonight, but just remember this thing of when Jesus talked about seed. Seed always carries with it divine intention. Seed already intrinsically within it, in the DNA of it, carries divine intention within it already. And that seed can do it, if put in the right circumstances, has to do what it was created to do. It has to do it. So you take a corn seed, put it in a dirt, water it, get sunshine to it, what's it going to do? It's going to produce corn. It's going to produce some type of a corn element. You'll never get wheat in there, right? You'll never get wheat. You'll never get, uh, you know, you won't get a pumpkin growing out of there. You're going to get corn because you put corn. Because why? Because in, intrinsically in the seed is divine intention. Remember, everything that's on this earth that, that you know, the seed-bearing seed and all that kind of stuff was all created by God. It was all set into motion by God. Now, man tweaks with seed and stuff and makes hybrids and things like that. But, but understand that the seed in its origination has a divine intention within it. And it has to produce what it was created to produce. All the seed needs within it, all the seed needs to produce what it what it what is, is primarily within the seed. It just needs a catalyst. It needs something to spark it. You know, the, the energy for the seed to become what it needs to become, to, to birth forth is already inside the seed. Right. The the genetics are already in the seed. All it needs is a catalyst, which is dirt and water. And once that happens, then the sun and then, you know, some other catalytic things enter in and then it takes off. So, um, but the divine intention is already inside the seed. So if you want to stop you, if I want to stop you from being able to stand and having done all to stand, what do I got to change in your life? I got to change the word. I've got to alter, I've got to. I've got to mutate that seed inside your life or steal it. I've got to get rid of it or I've got to choke it. As Jesus talked about that the, the, the word being choked, that grew up. I mean, he told, he told us the whole 
dynamic. He says, some seed fell by the wayside, and, they say, and he said it. Satan came immediately. I mean, the devil really is after the seed in your life. He don't, he, he's after the word in your life. Because he knows if you have the word, you can pray in the spirit, and he's in trouble. He's in big trouble. Because everything you do according to the word is your covenant with God. And everything you declare according to the word is what God has already said is yours in your life. And the enemy does not want you to have any of that. And part of that is recognizing that God has already said you got authority over the devil. He has no, he has no power over you at all. But you know, when I teach on authority, I promise you people all of a sudden start confronting all kinds of bizarre weirdo stuff that says you have no authority you can't do anything about this uh you know myself included just because i'm preaching it doesn't mean that it doesn't the same thing don't happen to me so he says look the sower sows the word immediately verse 15 uh, it's taken away the word that was sown in their hearts and then he says in verse 16 these are they that were sown on the stony ground when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. There's great joy, no root in themselves. They endure for a time. Afterward, and here's why they can only endure for a time, because affliction and persecution arises, not because of them. What does it say in those next three words? For the word's sake. What's the enemy after? He's after the word. You know, if he can get the word out of your life, you're just going to be beat down. You know, you're going to be self-pity and ruined. So he doesn't want you to have the word of God in your life, what God has said about your circumstances. So he brings affliction and persecution. Let's talk about affliction a little bit here. The word affliction, not a word we use a lot uh, in our vocabulary, but the word, if you do some deep digging into the word, of, and I encourage you to do this, um, and uh, that word affliction in the Greek language means pressure. So the enemy to steal the word in your life, even though you may have received the word and even been joyful. And you tell me if this has ever happened to you. You leave church, man, you are fired up. That glory to God. We are, our, this is so awesome what God just, I got a word from the Lord. And you get, by the time you get in your car, huh? Something crazy, some pressure has come against you. You know, one of the kids just called and said, Johnny's barfing all over the floor right now, or you get out, your tire's blown out, or, you know, or, you know, some, or you and, you know, you sat in a marriage seminar, and, you you know, you and your wife just, man, you're cuddling and kissing, and it's just awesome. You're just thinking about how, what a great Sunday it's going to be, and you get out butt to the car, and immediately what happens, you get into an argument over some stupid ridiculous thing right like the heat or the radio station or where we're going to lunch at or whatever can i get a good amen, amen. what is all of that it's affliction it's pressure it's just pressure it's just it's stuff that everybody deals with it's pressure that comes against us and when that happens, in fact, one translation of it says that it's the word tribulation, which we think about, you know, the seven years of tribulation in the book of Revelation. But, but this is a tribulation now. It's not when after the rapture. It's a tribulation. You're tribulating now. Okay? I mean, we don't go around saying, man, I just feel like I'm tribulating right now. 
we say, well, I'm under a lot of pressure, though, wouldn't we? We would say that. But, you know, so like I said, tribulation, you know, and of course, if you're around, you know, our Baptist friends that you say I'm tribulating, they would want to argue with you that the rapture hasn't happened yet. So um, you can't tribulate yet. But what do we do when we're, what do we do when we're tribulating, man? What are we supposed to do? I mean, when that pressure's bad. I want, <laughs> go to Romans chapter five. <laughs> you guys got to behave now. I mean, can't you see your coworkers? They say, what's going on in your life? You say, well, I'm just in some major tribulating right now. <laughs> I'm just really. <laughs> Romans 5 says, therefore, being justified by faith, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. We glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation works patience. And that patience, experience, and experience, hope, and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that is given to us. Now, he says we glory in tribulation. What does that mean? Well, it means to praise. It means to rejoice. It really does. In fact, if you, and if you want to write this down, Romans chapter 4, when it talks about Abraham, you know, Abraham, God spoke to him at 75 that he was going to have a child. For 25 years, he tribulated. You agree with that? He tribulated. I mean, and it was hard tribulation for him. He was frustrated many times, not just once. 25 years is a long time to believe God for something, Right? And especially, you know, you start thinking, hey, you know what? It's not getting better. It's getting worse because she was old when we started. (laughs) You know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. He was old too. Don't read into what I'm saying now. We were both old when we started this journey, right? I mean, and reasonably we would say 75 would have been a good age for God to have kicked this all off and made it happen, right? But 25 years has gone by, now he's 100. And she's 99. And here we are. And we've had 25 years of tribulation. We've been all over the map in that 25 years. We've tried to do it ourselves. We've tried to figure out God's plan. I mean, that's a lot like you and I, isn't it? We've kind of, you know, we've, we've taken our circumstances and tried to create our own version of Scripture. And didn't Sarah do that? She said, well, maybe that God, when God, you know, when God said that, here's what he meant. So I'm going to give you Hagar here, because maybe that's what he meant. So, you know, you have things like that that you, you know, where during that 25 years, and then at the end, then the miracle happens, and of course, it's, it's totally awesome. Now, here's what, I want, here's what I want you to realize. How did he get through the 25 years. I mean, you know, even with all the tribulating that was going on, how did he get through the 25 years? He got through with faith, but the scripture tells you 
that he gave glory to God, which means that he praised the Lord in the midst of his waiting time. See, to get through affliction, we have to praise him. And, and that's not easy. And there's a reason behind all of that. Sometimes believers don't understand this, but, you know, um, Psalm chapter 8, it tells us right in verse 2 that it's praise that shuts the devil up. So when if you're under pressure, you want to shut pressure up, start, I mean, I'm talking about praising him according to the, what the word says. There's a lot of stuff that, that even, even today that sounds like begging God, okay? You don't got to beg God for nothing. You don't have to beg God for nothing in your praise. There are some praise songs that, you know, they've been written. They, they sound like, you know, you're, you're needy and you're trying to get God to do something. You don't have to beg him for anything because, look, he loves you. Your, his love is shed abroad in your heart. You know, it's yours already. So you don't have to beg for what belongs to you. I mean, and my son, if he came to the table and said, Daddy, could I sit down and eat? I mean, I'm really hungry and, you know, I just really am. I'm really, my stomach's growling, and I just really would like to eat. And I'd be like, son, we already rang the dinner bell. You're supposed to sit down. Stop asking me for something is already yours. But Christians have been known to do that through the centuries that we start pleading, begging, negotiating with God to try to do stuff that he's already said that he's done for us. Amen. Can I tell you that we don't have to convince God to pour out his power upon the church? He, I mean, he's, he's in heaven like going, well, that's exactly what I wanted to. Give me a break. Why don't you just straighten up so you can receive? Amen. Here's a thought. <laughs> so how do we deal with it when it's adversity? It's like what Habakkuk did in chapter 3. I mean, I love that passage. I'm not going to turn to it tonight, but that passage in Habakkuk 3 says that my crops have failed and my vines are not producing and the trees have no figs. And, you know, it just seemed like such a bleak, desperate situation. He says, nothing's working out. We got no food in the cupboards, folks. It's old Mother Hubbard's cupboards completely bare, not even a bone for the dog. And so we're in trouble right now. And it's bad. What do we do? And so what Habakkuk said is, I will praise him. I'll praise him. And it doesn't mean just like that I will just like, hallelujah. It means in the Greek, in the Hebrew language, it means to jump up and down and to spin in circles. You know, like in a dance. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. But see, look, God isn't changed. Jumping up and down isn't going to change God. Right? You don't got to convince God to do this. He's already wanting to do this. What you're doing is, you're shut, you, you think of how that blows the devil's mind, the enemy's mind, that you're praising God in the midst of your pressure. But here's the thing. For most believers, their praise never levels up to their pressure. The pressure always is much, they talk more about the pressure than the praise. If you want to overcome your praise has to match your pressure. So, well, I'm under a, Pastor, I am under a lot of pressure right now. Well, there you go. Jump up and down and spin around in circles. I'm not doing that. Well, uh, you know, I, you, you understand, do you want to still be under the pressure or do you want to get, do you want to shut this pressure up? Because how do we deal with affliction? 
you know, you didn't do anything to do. This is part of what I, and I don't have all the time, all this time tonight to get into this, but think about affliction. You didn't do anything to deserve the affliction. That's the enemy just trying to get the word out of your life. Okay. So, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I don't know why God's doing this to me. He's not doing it. There's a devil that hates you and wants to steal the word out of your life. Right? I mean, it doesn't say, and immediately God came down and took back the seed that he planted in your heart. And that God caused adversity and affliction to come, persecution to come, so that you would be scorched and burned up and and give up. No, it says the adversary did that. So we jump up and down, we rejoice, we shout, we praise God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. I got to hurry up or I won't get this done. 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 6 through 7. I warned you, if you don't shout and amen, be good. You know, be here for a while. 6. 1 Peter, thank you, 1. I know it takes a while sometimes for these things to catch on. That's all right. Look at this. Verse 6. Peter, talking about all this affliction that they were dealing with and the pressure And uh, he says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So you got all these difficulties. And then he says in verse 7, but the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So what happens when you and I are facing the affliction? That affliction, that pressure, that tribulating is going on in your life. What's happening there? The enemy's trying to get that word in your life. What's your response? When you begin to manifest praise in your life according to the word of God that you're believing, you are actually stilling and shutting up your adversary. And I mean, it says that right in the scripture. It says that he's ordained strength in Psalm 8, 2. Uh, in the New Testament, when Jesus talked about this very verse out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, he says he has ordained praise. And so what happens when you begin to pray, strength comes. What happens when you praise the Lord, you shut the... I love the old song Russ Taff used to sing, when we, when we praise him, the, the chains that seem to bind us fall powerless behind us. That's a good place for you to say amen right now. They fall powerless behind us because we are praising, because we praise the Lord. Amen? All right. So that's one aspect of it. Now, the other thing he talked about here was persecution. Persecution. And the word persecution is because of stuff you are doing. So you've taken a stand, all right, in your life about your faith in Christ. You will be persecuted. What does the word persecute mean? At its root level, it means to be chased away. So what is the adversary trying to do with persecution? To chase you away from where you're standing. To chase you away from where you're standing. That's why, you know, believers that were persecuted, in the early church when they were persecuted, what were they trying to get them to do? To renounce their faith, right? You know, I shared with uh, last Sunday morning, this is such a powerful, I didn't know the whole story behind this, but uh, I was sharing the, um, the, the song, uh, and it just kind of, I was really nervous because the Lord kept saying, I want you to sing this song. And uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm like, okay. And, and I'm like, well, I'll let Chuck know. And he's like, no, I want you to sing it. And I want you to get the congregation to sing it with you, okay? So I'm like, okay. So I look at, I, I, I'm smart. I know what Google is, right? And uh, so I looked up 
in Google. Well, the testimony of that song, it's out from India. The song is actually from India. And, it, and it, what, what had happened was is that an Indian man had gotten born again with his family, and they had gone back to their village. And the king in the village had basically told them that you have to renounce this faith because we're Hindu here and you cannot be a Christian in our village. And he said, and this is what the king said to him. He says, if you don't renounce, I'm going to kill your children right now. And so he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Now you talk about how that changes that old song, right? I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, right? He killed his kids right there in front of him. He says, now listen, now we've killed your children. He said that, uh, I, I'll tell you what, if you don't turn from your faith, he says, we're going to kill your wife right in front of you. True story. And he said, uh, so then the next phrase that he quoted out of that um, was where he spoke and said, um, um, the, uh, though none go with me, yet I will follow. Though none go with, there's only three lines to it. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. And uh, no turning back. They killed his wife right in front of him. And they said to him then, listen, you need to renounce or we're going to kill you. And so what he, he stood there. This, see, he's being persecuted for something that he has done. He's become a Christian. And so the, the enemy's trying to, what is he trying to do? Get him to move from the position that he's in, even with death. And so there he is. He's, the, the, the guy says, you renounce your faith or we'll kill you right now. And that's where he came back with the, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning. And they killed him right there on the spot. Now, here's the rest of the story. And this is so powerful. Months go by. The king is haunted by what had happened. And he actually repents and turns to Christ. And the whole village became Christian because of this one guy standing up to that adversity and it affected India it had a it had a profound effect on that whole region because of this one guy who had been dead for several months so it just that you know we some of these songs these great hymns that we sing in the church when you find out the real meaning of them this is somebody's life man this is what they were going through and uh that's what the enemy tries to do in your life see persecution so you you all of a sudden become a Christian People that were close to you now begin to ridicule you. What are they trying to get you to do? To move your position. I don't want you to stand. They're trying to get you to compromise the word that you've received. And, you know, and there's a lot of ways that we do that in our life. And don't be offended by this, okay? But sometimes we do it. We, 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 take, we, we just don't tell anybody anything. Well, I don't want them to know. And see, that's totally against the Christian faith. Because you're supposed to be persecuted. Wait a minute, preacher. You mean I'm supposed to be persecuted for? Yes, absolutely. Because the devil, look, if you're not being persecuted for anything, then you're not declaring anything over your life. You you come to a church like this, get filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's a little more popular today than it was when we all got filled with the spirit back in the 70s but uh you know in the early 70s and in the 60s it's so you know it's a little more acceptable today and our worship definitely man was persecuted as demonic because we brought drums in the church and you know and we took the organ out and all that so you know um but but 
the persecution was to get you to change what you have stood for. Now, now take that in context with what Jesus was saying. So the devil brings affliction, pressure, and persecution against you to get you to move off what you have declared. You know, when I started, I mean, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I thought everybody was on board with power. I found out real quick that there were a lot of real serious Christians that thought that was wrong. When I talked about Brother Hagin's book the first time, there were people that actually are like, he's a heretic. You shouldn't listen to anything he has to say. Copeland was the devil, man. I mean, don't listen to him. He's crazy. He's, he's a whacked out West Texan. I mean, don't listen to anything he's saying. On and on and on. But I knew what they were saying was the truth. The word was the truth. But I had, I had, I mean, Sharon will tell you, we had a relative that lived with us for a while. And I mean, he told us, and we're believing God. We're living on 300 bucks a month. And we're standing in faith for God's provision in our life. And, and this relative that's living with us, it was like a month, wasn't it? And it? that The whole time that he's living with us for a month, he's telling us, God doesn't prosper people. God doesn't financially bless. Well, look, it, that's the bad thing, that sometimes it's even our own family that the enemy is using against us. And, and I didn't say, well, you're the devil, get behind me. I mean, you know. <laughs> I probably should have, but, you know, that's what Jesus would have said. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that they're, fam they're family, and so it gets a little complicated, you know. But they think you're a whack job now, right? Got the Holy Ghost. Believe the Word. You believe the Bible. You believe God heals today? I had one guy that I went to play college basketball with, and he was like, what, do you think you got healing powers now? You know, are you like, are you, and they always bring up, they bring out the fringe stuff, you know, the fringe preachers that are out there. Are you like this guy? I mean, are you like him now? I mean, you got the power in your hands and all this other, and I'm like, listen, man, I said, I just believe what the Bible says. So just because they're being ugly don't mean you got to be ugly too. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you right now. So what do we do? We're getting persecuted. Well, one big thing you do is don't move. Don't move from where you're at. Because I'm going to tell you, I'll tell, I, and this is a great verse. I don't have time to, to dig into this one tonight. But there's a passage in the scripture that says that basically don't blink when your adversary attacks you or he'll think you didn't even believe what you really said you believed. <laughs> Maybe next week I'll bring that. But it's a great passage. It's in Philippians. But but uh, it's, you know, don't, your adversary will think you didn't even believe what you were saying. That's what persecution tries to do to get you to move. The devil knows it's true. Let me tell you something. You, you want back? The devil knows you have authority over sickness and disease. He already got ripped whenever Jesus went to the cross. So he's already lost all that power over your life. He already knows that God wants to bless your tithe, your offering, that he wants to answer your prayers. He already knows all. He already knows that God, here, here's the thing you may find hard to believe, okay? But, but, but I'm going to tell you right now, because I'm going to speak this prophetically. There are a whole bunch of prayers that you've prayed that God has already answered. They just haven't arrived yet. They're on the way. 
And, and what the enemy wants you to do is, is if you move from where you were, guess what? You're not in a place to receive them. That's not what you said when you stood there. You need to keep saying what you said when you stood there. Persecution comes, mockery, scandal, all this stuff is to try to get you to, uh, to back off on what you believe. Are you getting anything out of this? I might not be done this weekend. I thought I was going to be done, but I guess maybe not. Um, I want to uh, turn with me to First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, real quick. I'm probably just going to stop here. First Timothy chapter three. Maybe we'll go one more week. Would that be okay? Would you guys be all right with that? All right. Thank you for those two grunts. Okay. Look at this. This is First uh, Timothy. That's not the one. Second Timothy, I guess. I must have looked at it wrong. Yeah, here we go. Look at this in verse, look at verse 11 with me real quick. All right. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which per, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. If you stand, God will deliver you out. And truthfully, I, and let's talk about the guy in India. Was he delivered out of his persecution? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, man. The enemy took his, look, he, on the outside it looked like he lost, but got, in the midst of all of that, that guy got, he gained everything. He went, and he gained everything, plus he ruined the devil's plan for that king and the village and everybody that was there. Now, look, I don't have a die for Jesus mentality, but I'm saying that in the midst of all of that, that guy gained heaven, and the Bible tells you flat out that heaven is far better than this. You know, Paul even said, look, the only reason I'm here is because I got a job to do, and I'd much rather be out of this mess here on this earth and be with the Lord than to be here in this mess. Amen. So look at what he said. He said, yea, yes, verse 12, and all that will live godly, in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Everybody that does. So that every step that you go to take to live godly, you're going to get persecuted for it. You know, I can remember the day that I told my friends I wasn't drinking alcohol anymore. You know what happened? They started to persecute. Oh, think you're better than us now, huh? Oh, I see. Got you some religion now. I see what your deal is, right? Well, and then they start subverting, they, they use another plan. And, and it's the same, if the persecution don't work by mockery and making fun of you, then they use pressure. And the pressure is, well, just come to the bar with us, right? Well, just, and it's never just come to the bar. We'll just have one. I mean, what, you know, the Bible talks about wine, so come on, let's, you know, well, you can have one beer. That's not going to hurt anything. And you know what, I, I don't, I don't think alcohol is a sin. I think abuse is a sin for sure. But here it is. Here's, here's these guys, man. They're pressuring the daylights out of me. I'm, bad. I'm wrestling. Look, can I tell you the truth? I wanted to go. Are you listening to me? I wanted to go, man. When they broke out the... Is there any kids 
they broke out the weed. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. But the Lord was saying, no, I want you, you know, I want you to do this right. I want you to walk with me. I want you to be an example to these guys. Not that you're better than they are, but I want you to stand up for your faith. And I want you, I want, you know, look, if we still look like the world after we've come to Christ, I don't know what we've actually received. And I'm not saying drinking and smoking weed makes you a better person than anybody else in the world. I'm just saying, if you've become a Christian, there should be something about your life that has changed. Right? Something different. I mean, you're not cussing like everybody else cusses. <laughs> you're not telling dirty jokes like everybody else tells dirty jokes. You're not looking at porn like it. I mean, there are things that have changed. And when you determine in your life to live godly, guess what happens? persecution. Why? Because I got to get you to move from where you're standing to get you off of that, get you, and, and you know, the enemy is so great. He tried that with Nehemiah. We'll look at that in a couple weeks, but you know, if I, whatever you compromise to keep, you always lose. You always, always, always will lose. Let me show you one more passage. The root of persecution means to chase away. First Peter chapter three, first Peter chapter three. And uh, I want us to uh, look at verse 14, 314. Oh, this is so cool. I promise you there are not a lot of churches that are going to preach verse 14. (laughs) They're just not going to do it. Because this is not like, because we would like, because of our perspective on suffering, it's like, well, I don't want to be persecuted. Well, here's, here's here's what Peter said by the Spirit. But but, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. You got to be kidding me. If you stand up for righteousness' sake, happy are you. What do I got to be happy about? My friends are giving me a rough time. My family's saying bad stuff about me. People at work are not pleased with my faith. Happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now look what he says. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Don't compromise. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing. That's real suffering. Is, is that you're standing in a spot while others are telling you to move. That's suffering. And they say, well, we won't be your friends anymore. Well, I'm not moving. Yeah, that's the way it goes, right? If that's the way you feel about it, I'm sorry. I don't feel that way, but if you feel that way, that's a decision you'll have to make. But I'm not moving from here. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. So I'm not turning back. So he goes on, he says, look, for it's better for if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, putting, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So he tells us that, look, what happens is when you and I stand, when we, when we stand, God is at work to bring our testimony 
to the reality of those that are around us. You know, when my uncle told me about Jesus, I persecuted him. But he was right. You know why I found out he was right? Because God was working with him as he stood. All he had to do was keep standing on his faith. Now, would it have changed? Let, let me ask you a question. My uncle, those of you that don't know the story, powerful, but, you know, he, got, he was a truck driver, drunk, got born again, uh, and wanted our whole family saved. I mean, because, you know, the Christian thing is, should be anyways, if I get saved, I want everybody in my family saved. I mean, I want them all to come to be, I want them all to be a Christian, right? I want all my friends to be Christians. I want to, I want everybody to know, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know, you know, about Jesus. So we, we tell people about Jesus. And so he'd sit there and tell us about Jesus. We'd laugh at him. We'd go, well, that's good for you. And you know, that's an awesome experience you've had. We go to church. We don't need to believe like you believe. And, and anyways, but see, he would deal with the persecution knowing full and well that we laughed at him and said stuff about him, but he never stopped standing. Now, while that was happening, God was working behind the scenes with where he stood. God had already heard his prayer for his family. He already heard the first prayer. He didn't have to pray it again. He already heard the first prayer. He said, God, you saved me, now save my family. God already heard that prayer. So here we all are, mocking, giving him grief. What would it have done to that process in our life if while, while we're, we, he has told us one thing, he all of a sudden falls off the wagon and goes out and gets drunk and wrecks his truck or does something crazy? If he would have moved from where he stood, but see, he saw a, a, a greater value than just him standing there for himself, he was standing for his family. And so he did not. He did not fall off the wagon. He did not let the persecution push him away from where he was at. Even my, even other really close family members were telling him, you got to back off, man. You're offending people and it's, you're coming on too strong. And he never moved. And all the time, God was working behind the scenes. And in 1977, I'm 18 years old, God showed up in my bedroom. And he told me, this is it, son. You got a choice to make right now. Now, that only happened, and I'm, I, you know, I've said, okay, I'll do it. That only happened because that guy refused to move from where he stood. From where he stood, there wasn't anybody shouting greater when I became a Christian than him. And here's what happened. You know, just how God works. I got born again, and then I had the opportunity. Then, then my dad is in the Methodist church. He's on the Pony Express fundraising group. He's a on the board of trustees, of directors in the church. My dad is sitting in the church, and the pastor gives an altar call, which never happened in our church. You know, you talk about I shall not be moved. That was our Methodist church, man. We weren't moving anywhere. And he says, and if you would like to accept Christ into your life today and do it publicly, you can come to the altar and my dad got mad, and he's standing there, and, the, and he told me this. He says, I'm standing there, and I'm saying to myself, this is not a Baptist church. How dare him give this, give an altar call here in the church? And while he's saying that, his feet are moving down the aisle, and he's going to the altar. And he, look, I'm not talking about 20 people came to the altar. 
You know somebody got something when they're the only one that came up, right? And they're on the Pony Express, and they're part of the deacon board. And he's standing there at the altar, white-faced, and he knows he is not right with God. He's weighed in the balance, the conviction, all because that guy, my uncle, stood. Stood. Not long after that, my, my stepmother got turned back to God. My brother, I led him to Christ. My sister had a supernatural experience with the Lord, turned to Christ. My brother, Ed, I mean, we didn't think Ed had any hope at all. You know, you probably got a family member like that. You're like, look, God, if you could save them, you could do anything, okay? (laughs) Ed got born again, and it's just perpetuated. I've had the honor of doing all of my relatives' funerals and preaching Christ at all of them. They've all accepted Christ before they died. I mean, it's been absolutely phenomenal, all because there was a guy who was being persecuted, right? But he was happy about it. Because what did he see? He didn't see the problem. He saw what this is going to produce because I'm not moving for him where I'm at. Amen? The devil's after that word in your life. That's what he wants. Now, next week we'll look at those last three things. But but, uh, stand up with me. I know I went a little long, got excited. But it's good when your preacher gets excited, right? I mean, I could get up here in monotone for a half hour. And the Bible says, put you to sleep, get you ready for your Saturday night nap. All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, Lord, as we talk about this, I know for all of us, we start thinking about family members. Lord, we start thinking about friends. Lord, you didn't call us to be mean and nasty. You called us to be loving and to stand firm in our faith and share the gospel, to be happy about, Lord, that we in what we believe, not to be sad, depressed, and angry at sinners. You told us to be happy as we're persecuted because, Lord God, we know that you're working. And no matter what people say or how they act or what mockery they bring or that they make fun of us because we speak in tongues or we believe in healing or we teach a, a full gospel, Lord God, to that no matter what, that, Lord, you're working through all of that persecution. Lord, I just rejoice that I know even tonight that there are people here that mock the baptism in the Holy Spirit that are speaking in tongues now. They made fun of it. And here they are tonight, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. There are people right here in this building with me, Lord God, that that made fun of churchgoers and salvation and that whole Uh, religious experience and now here they are now they're born again they love jesus they're 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 in the kingdom of god there are people here that that mocked healing and prosperity and 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 all the and and all the things of your word lord god and yet tonight because people stood may we be those kinds of people god lord when we leave here tonight lord god may we be those kinds of people who who stand father for what's right stand for godliness and And, Lord, just recognize that we shouldn't be shocked when we're persecuted because we've stood for something that you stand for. And, Lord, I thank you that when we stand, you stand, that you're right there with us in the midst of that. Lord, I know that guy in India, that's what he saw. I know when Stephen stood up for what he believed in the book of Acts, chapter 7, you were standing too. Hallelujah. That when he looked in the heavens, he saw you, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God the Father. When we stand, you stand. 
Because, Lord God, as we stand in this earth, the devil has already lost. I thank you, God, that the devil has lost our families, that he has lost our children, that he has lost our prodigals that have wandered away and are coming back, that he has lost all those areas that he, he, he has lost the ability to cause sickness and disease in our lives and to and lack in Jesus' name to destroy our marriages and relationships. He's already lost. Now we stand, and having done all to stand, we stand therefore in your mighty name, Lord God. And all those agreed said, Amen. Hey, God.